Like I said last time, they're kind of like little dinosaurs. If you've ever seen Jurassic Park, and they go, stop. They can't see you if you don't move. I think that's kind of true with her. You know, whether you're into just hiking or fishing or hunting or whatever, it's still that same common thread of, you know, loving the outdoors. They talk, they laugh, they giggle. These two giggle more than school kids <laughs> They'll talk, they'll... I mean, I can't tell you the stories of some of them because some of them are probably pretty embarrassing for them. Welcome to Empower Outdoors podcast. Today, me and Phil are with Tom Sega of Duluth Pack, and we're going to be talking about the history of Duluth Pack and how they have outdoor products that um, have been around for how many years, Tom? 136 years this year. Wow. Yes, and Phil's here today as well. How are we all doing? <laughs> all right, so 136 years. Talk a little bit about, you know, or how you guys got started, and obviously you sell hunting gear and, and how that's played a part in Duluth Pack's history. For sure. So we're the oldest canvas and leather pack and bag maker in the United States of America. We're under 136 consecutive year of business, not only in the U.S., but in Duluth, Minnesota, where we're sitting right now. Pretty special. And the company was started from a gentleman named Camille Poyer, a Canadian. He came to Duluth because at one point Duluth was per capita the wealthiest town in the United States because of the shipping, the timber, and the rail. And he came here because he was a bootmaker and he saw that there was a market for it. And in 1882 he was commissioned to make a, uh, a bag for the timber cruisers who had to go shoot all of the lines in northern Minnesota to put rail in to get the iron ore from up on the iron range to Duluth. And so when he was commissioned to make a pack, he made the original Duluth pack, and he patented it on December 12, 1882, thus the start of 1882, the year, uh, the company of making bags, because he hadn't done that. He expanded the bag business out, and in 1911, sold the bag portion of his business to, to Duluth Tent and Awning, who we still are, Duluth Tent and Awning, doing business as Duluth Pack. We've been in the same factory since that day in 1911, still making the bags there by hand, one at a time. One at a time. And one of the things that I've found to be really cool about Duluth Pack is the lifetime warranty and how, you know, you can buy one Duluth Pack and it will last you your entire life. So and, and I might have one of those Duluth Packs from the 1800s, honestly. <laughs> I don't know how old it is, but I still have one. It's actually in my parents' um, shed right now, and it has... Um, goose decoys in it, and it's you know just the just the uh, shell decoys. That's what mm-hmm. I've always used it for. I got it from a garage sale when I was like 15, 16 years old. I got it for five dollars, and it's old. So we absolutely love hearing stories like that. And then I look at Phil across the table, and I go, Phil, you better take care of that thing and not get it all <laughs> all wet and then dry and get it dry rotted. And you better treat the leather. And so I'll have a whole education for Phil here before good, we're good. done on how to take care of it. But those are the stories we love, love, love to hear because that is such a part of who we are as a company that you hear the generational thing that, hey, my grandpa did this. And you know what? If my grandpa did it, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. If my dad did it, maybe not so cool. And uh, But if, if grandpa did it and this company's still around and I could have or carry, whether it's a briefcase or whether it's a my decoy bag uh, that they probably made out of an old canoe pack, um, 
no matter what line of product it is, if if somebody else used it in a previous generation of the family, it just must be cool. And and somehow as a company, we're trying to 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 grow upon that because you know what, family's where it's at. I don't care whose family it is. Allie, your family, Phil's family, my family. It's 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 all about family, and that's what we want. Is that generational thing works for everybody, mm-hmm. and our stuff lasts generations. And and there's something to be said about that. It's like it's like a legacy. It's like you're passing. You could pass a pack down, and it's there's history behind that, whether it's within the company or within your family, which is really cool. There is, and, and it goes right back to what you said with the lifetime guarantee, that many of these bags that are passed down, if you look at them, they've probably been repaired some point in their life, and that makes it even better, because now there's a story behind that that you carry forward with you, and we hear that from our customers every day, that, you know what, it's not that, okay, this one has a little tear in it, I'm going to throw it away. It's no. Now it has a battle scar on it, and I can tell people stories about it, and we hear that on a day-in and day-out basis. Hey, it was that one time when we were hunting in the backcountry and, <laughs> yeah, and got it all fixed up. So Actually, we have a bag today going from a gentleman named Dave Nebraska from Mossy Oak. He's on his way to the Yukon right now with one of our mountain uh, rifle packs, and uh, he's going to shoot some really good video and, and pictures for us of it up uh, up in the Yukon this week. That'll be awesome. Wow. Um, so we talked a little bit about the, the packs, but what types of outdoor products? I know you have, you just mentioned the, the, the rifle pack. What other outdoor hunting products do you guys carry? Sure. From the history, it, it all started with the canoe packs, which we are in this part of the globe. We're pretty well known for our canoe packs, even though it is now our smallest market because it's really not it's a mature market it's not a growing market we still make as many canoe packs as we always did it's just that all of the other lines specifically uh, and what we're talking about today is the hunting line is growing rapidly and uh, with that we're, we're going to continue to make all of the bags by hand we're going to continue to have the lifetime guarantee, stick in the premium market, have the American flag in it, all the, the things that are really who we're all about as Duluth Pack. But we're going to expand the line by listening to the customer, whether it be the mountain rifle pack or the mountain bow pack for the hardcore who's going to be going like Ali is in a, another couple days here. Um, up in the mountains where you're going to be hoofing it and you may not want to carry your rifle or your or your uh, bow on your in your hands while you're going up the mountain, you can carry it on your back till you get to where you're going then take it off. But whether it's the all-day lumbar pack, our gun cases are out of this world. And, I mean, how many gun cases are actually guaranteed? The zippers are guaranteed for life. How many gun cases are actually good? <laughs> Not very many. <laughs> exactly. Um, our pistol rugs, um, right down to, we make aprons that people think are for grilling, but you know what I wear mine for? Butchering all my deer. Hey. You know, and people are like, oh, I never thought of that before. So the line, we're going to continue to grow the line. And, uh, and and literally, we're growing the line because of loyal followers and listeners, like on a podcast like this, who are going, you know, I, I hunt and I can't find a high-quality this. Would you make one? And we always say, sure, we can make that because it's canvas and leather. How difficult can it actually be? Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're going to sew it. It is actually very difficult <laughs> if you tried to make this stuff. And uh, we're going to actually get Allie on a sewing machine. But, um <laughs> 
but we listen to the customer. And when there's a market that they that they say, hey, I want a quality product in this, could you make one? We listen. So say I got a, a product from Duluth Pack and maybe it, because I'm a smaller frame person, I needed it adjusted or something, I could just bring that in to... to to potentially get it, you know, like the straps smaller or something like you, that. Kind you of, certainly that kind could, of thing. but what we would want to do as part of our due diligence and actually selling a product to somebody, whether it was in one of our dealers mm-hmm. all around the world, whether it was in our own brick and mortar or website, is we'd like to get you the bag that fits you instead of getting you a bag that's too big and then saying, hey, Allie, you're a smaller frame, mm-hmm. can I tweak this? Or we make a bag like, let's say, our, which has happened to be my favorite bag that we make is a, the all-day lumbar pack, and any hunter, uh, I would I would recommend it. It is in every bow stand, every rifle stand. It's on every fishing trip with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the customer that likes that the best is the upland game hunter, upland bird hunter. Um, and we sell a tremendous amount of orange ones in Hunter's Orange because they put all the dog supplies in it. So what it is, it's an oversized fanny pack, but it has shoulder straps, so it takes all the weight off your lower back, puts it all up on your shoulder. You can have water bottles. It's waterproofed on the bottom, so you can set it in the snow or the dew. And a lot of people put you know, a sandwich for yourself and then all the stuff for your hardworking dog when you're out there. You can carry the water and the food and some medical stuff for your dog. So that's one of the products that, that would be talking about adjustable that Allie could wear it and a six foot five guy could wear it Mm -hmm. because we made it so adjustable and all the bags we've tried to do that as you get toward that market so that you don't have hey we need to cut those straps off put smaller ones let's make it all adjustable as much as we can and our goal is to get the right bag on you because you're going to carry it the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Let's make let's get it right the first time. You know, and, and I do a lot of um, in the late December muzzleloader season for Wisconsin and Minnesota. I do a lot of uh, tracking. I don't sit in a stand during that period because this is a time where I can get out in the woods and I can actually track down a, a buck and shoot it without having to worry about a bunch of other people in their stands and walking past them. Is that the kind of pack you would recommend for something like that? Because honestly, I've had a few different backpacks and a few different packs and none of them really seem to work that well for what I want to do. I can't carry enough in the pack um, without having it be kind of obtrusive and getting caught on stuff and everything like that. So So the all-day lumbar pack that I was just speaking to right there, it's perfect for what you just said because if you're going to be out following deer trails all day and you're going to put a lot of miles on and you're going to be high-stepping over deadfalls and going up and down hills and all of that, sometimes a backpack's not the most comfortable thing to wear, especially if you're going to be carrying your muzzle loader with you and whatnot. I love that bag for it, and I know I'm a big advocate of it Mm because it's my favorite, but, but... in that situation, I may not want to have a backpack on, right. and that's where the lumbar packs come in really handy for doing something like that. And and you're a bigger guy, and it would fit you perfect. And all you have to do is just get it adjusted, put the weight in it, walk around a little bit, readjust it, snip off the, the nylon straps, burn the edges of them, and done. It's your bag. Mm-hmm. Don't borrow it to anyone else because right. right. it's not going to fit yeah. right. <laughs> I actually have... I got the lumbar pack. So you did? Yes. So I, I have to mention that I took it with me um, at Montelac to do archery 3D shooting. And it held, like I had my, um, I put my rangefinder in there and some two water bottles. Because I like having two water bottles because it helps it balance out a bit. And so, yeah, no, I, I like that pack a lot. 
Perfect. Yeah. If I were you, I'd wear the all-day lumbar pack and let the guys pack the meat yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are getting a guide, aren't you? Yes, I am. Okay, don't judge me. Don't judge me. No, I, I um, yeah, we do have a guide, so we do have horses and everything for that. I'm packing right now, so I'm just trying to figure out every well, every piece of gear. I, that I would I'm imagine you with. could tie game bags to it, correct? If you had to, yeah. Well, that might be like a good day pack, but then for then if if Nick, my husband, wears like the meat pack, then I'll just pack him up. I don't know. I would just do that if I were you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You talked about the hunting line being the fastest growing line for you guys, and why do you think that is? Part of it is because we are making making a concerted concerted effort to market to it. And to concentrate on it, because we know that from the trade shows that we go to, whether it's shot or next week we'll be at NBS down in Dallas, that that, that market is dying for some quality products like we make in the markets that we make them, because we hear from people over and over that, that we're tired of the throwaway stuff. We went through it, we tried it, and frankly, I don't need every pocket and every single strap where I have straps coming out all over. Let's keep it simple, and that's what a lot of people are telling us. So we're making a concerted effort, but also, it is a growing market, and and part of it is we're also tailoring some of it toward the women because let's talk about the conceal and carry is with the women, we're doing very well, with, and we put that into our, our shooting sports market um, of products is that's the fastest growing handgun market that there is. Well, we make a great pistol rug and cleaning kit, you know, pads and all of those things. But the customer was saying, I love your purses, your shell purses and all that, but you don't have something for conceal and carry. So a few years ago we said, well, let's listen to the customer because those women love handbags Mm -hmm. and they want to carry with them. So we came out with the, the line of conceal and carry haversacks and, and shell purses, and it's done very well for us. And it was funny because then the guys came back to us and said, hey, we, wa- <laughs> we want to see a little love as well. And so we made a like a field satchel with conceal and carry and launched that, and it's been very yeah. successful for us. So it's listening to the customer and then, and then marketing it when we get in it. Because one thing with Duluth Pack, being as old as we are and all the history we have, we've been through a lot is we're not trying to be everything to everyone, but when you have a loyal customer base that may have gotten their first bag for school, and they go, but I also love this. And so we have several silos we sell into, anywhere from the women's finer handbags all the way to our hunting gear. Mm-hmm. And and we never gave the hunting gear, the shooting sports, as much love as it really deserved and expected uh, from us. And so now we are, we are making an effort to do that. And ladies, those conceal and carry handbags are really cute. <laughs> so I actually have a few friends that have those handbags. And um, I know women who do conceal and carry are always looking for some way to do it that's, you know, practical mm-hmm. and have obviously cute as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. And, and, and it's very discreet. And, you know, it's funny because at our own brick and mortar, we have a flagship store and we sell... Probably for everyone we sell for conceal and carry, the women say, no, I love this pocket just to put my phone in. Mm-hmm. And it's in the back and it's concealed or some other things that they just yeah. don't want in the main pocket of the purse. So yeah. we there, there's really a dual market that we found out after we launched it. That's awesome. So you talked earlier about where you get your leather and where you get some of your um, 
product to make into the bags. Can you talk a little bit about that and how it's USA made and everything? Absolutely. So when we make our products, to be able to put American flag in it, there's a lot of things that go into You can't just be, just because you build it here doesn't mean that you can put an American flag in it. There's a lot of things that we have to look at for doing that. So we have to source materials here, too, the raw materials, which is a great thing because then we're, we're, we're supporting other American-made companies, and, and that's what we ask for people to support us as an American-made company. So we want to do that. And, and there's been a lot of talk around the tariffs recently, and I was interviewed about that. And with that, um, it's really not going to affect us, and that's what I stated in that interview was because we're buying all of our hides from America. And so we can track back our cowhide to Oklahoma or Nebraska, our bison hide for our buffalo bags to North Dakota, and all of it is tanned in Milwaukee. And so it has a small footprint that does also have a good story, but it's just facts. Mm -hmm. We also support American companies when we're buying raw materials to make ours, even though the greatest component of costing that goes into any bag is that American labor that we put in it, and we're so proud to say that. And also that American labor and product that goes into it is what makes it such high quality, too. So you 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 pay for what you get. If you want something that, like you said earlier, a throwaway bag, well, then go buy a throwaway bag. But if you want something that you're going to hand down to your son and then his granddaughter, his granddaughter, who knows, 100 years down the road, that's what you want. That's absolutely true because our model of our company is, number one, based around quality. We have a saying here that anyone can call out any product at any time for any reason and nobody gets in trouble for it. We just don't want our valuable customer to ever get an off-spec, off-quality product. And so somebody from administration could walk on the production floor and go, I don't really like what I see there, and they can call that product. Nobody gets in trouble for it. It just makes us a better company, and it brings our quality up. So quality is number one. We are in the premium market. Yeah, it's an expensive product, and we don't apologize for that because you're supporting American families, whether it's your friends, your loved ones, these are great people making these. In fact, on our website, you can go visit them, and you can send them a note if you look inside the bag and the tag, and I'll get to that in a minute. The third thing is made in America. Always has been, always will be. And the fourth thing is the lifetime guarantee on all craftsmanship and hardware, which goes back to the quality statement. So it doesn't have to be a difficult, arduous story on a company. We keep it simple, and it works. So any kind of rips, tears where you wear through it because it's 100 years old, that's all covered. That is not. So that is not. Great question. So if you have your old decoy bag and you drag it across the marsh and you're dragging it across rocks and everything and you put a wear hole in the bottom, that's not part of the lifetime guarantee. That's wear and tear. The the guarantee is for all craftsmanship and hardware. And we're we're pretty liberal on it, but... um, and, and, and we give people a lot of favors on they ship something in and it's like, ah, don't worry about it. We'll just cover that. And I probably shouldn't say that, but we do. Uh, but you tear a seam out, you pull a buckle off, you break a zipper, a gun case. Mm-hmm. Long guns have long zippers. Zippers can break once in a while. It's on us. Nice. Uh, a seam pulls out, a handle pulls off, any of that. You You drag it through the marsh, you drag it across those rocks, you put a wear hole in it, we're going to charge you a little bit to fix it, but the cool thing about what we make is everything can be fixed. Awesome. That's really cool. So 
what I think sets Duluth Pack apart is what you said, the USA Made, the guarantee, and all that. But when you're at those trade shows and, and whatnot and out in the outdoor space, how do you think there's other – is there a lot of other brands that are like you out there within that space? There are, and then there aren't. Right. And the reason being is we, we are very niche because we we will compete with, with another American-made bag maker – in the handbag market, but that's as far as they go. Or another one in more of the outdoor realm or the outdoor market, but that's as far as they go. And what we've done is we have seven, diff- seven different lines that, that we focus on, and we try to tre- treat each one individual to itself and make it stand on its own two legs. So the handbag market for women, the more fashion-y end of our, our, our line, we will go to certain trade shows and market to that customer because they're there for that line. And so we have a we have a a, a, a smaller line of products. Not all three hundred you know designs go to every show. But when we go to Shot Show or we go to NBS next week, um, we will have another small line of our bags. But it's all tailored toward the hunter, the outdoorsman that's going to like that. Now, will we bring some concealed carry? Absolutely, because it's in the same market. Will we bring some of our duffels? Heck yes, because people who love the quality gun case are also going to love a buffalo duffel to travel with because we all have lives where we travel and do things, um, whether it's a shaving kit or a dop kit or, or some of the other things. So we'll, we'll mix in a few of the other lines at different shows, and like next week at NBS, um, but we'll really sp- stick to, we'll have a lot of gun cases, a lot of pistol rugs, the shooting supplies, the range bags, the all-day lumbar packs. We'll have a lot of those things there. Um, so we talked about, well, actually, we're in Tom's office right now, everyone, and he has quite a few mounts up, and uh, so he's a big hunter. So can you tell us a little bit about your background with hunting and and uh, or any trips you have planned? Absolutely. Probably no trips as cool as yours <laughs> next week. I'm, I'm really, I'll say I'm envious. I want to go in your luggage with you. I've actually elk hunted in Idaho, and it is a blast. You're going to have so much fun. We've been talking about this for a while. But I do. I uh, this is this is my part of my little showroom here. Um, I got into hunting at a very young age. I had a family who hunted, a, a father who hunted, and uh, have done everything from from grouse hunting through pheasant hunting through became a really avid duck hunter for quite a few years, and then got into bow hunting. And the problem with bow hunting and duck hunting is. You either do both of them poorly, or you pick take your your, your pick. And and I, I I fell in love with big game hunting, and and really started bow hunting uh, heavily. I do rifle hunt and have a safe full of guns. In fact, I was told I need to buy another safe. Um, and you can see some of the 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 trophies in here. And I'm not specifically a trophy hunter. It's just I'm. As I get older, it's so much about the experience, and it's so much about family. You know, you're going with your family on that trip, making family memories. And yes, it's all great to be a big show off and say, "Oh yeah, I can tell you the story about that deer or that 
boar or that black buck or these turkeys and stuff that are sitting around us but it's all about memories and it gets back to friends and family and i think that's what a lot of people forget about the hunting community and and so many people at times think we're we're these bad old people who are these poor these poor animals but i can tell you anything that is shot from my family is also eaten by my family and i find that very important i i taught my son who's very avid uh, hunter when he was very young that if you shoot it you eat it and that was after he shot his first Tweety bird <laughs> and he ate it <laughs> and he didn't shoot Tweety birds after that or red squirrels every red squirrel that bothers you you know everyone wants to shoot them and it's like that's fine you can shoot that but you can eat it and so that that is part of it we also do that um, in in our family is that we do eat what we shoot and I think that's very important. And the sport is not just about shooting something. The sport's so much more than that. And, and I, I, I wish we could take some non-hunters as an observer with us at times to see all that we go through, the adrenaline rush. When you have two elk just screaming across a valley next week for you and, and your heart's ready to blow out of your chest and you have goosebumps and... You can't even breathe because you're hyperventilating, and now you're supposed to think about everything that goes through drawing the bow back. Um, that's what it's about. I mean, I missed an elk in Idaho two years ago at 20 yards because one little stick the size of your pinky got between me and it, and I didn't see it. I was focusing on the target, and it was a clean miss. One of the coolest experiences I've ever had, and I watched this big old bull go about 80 yards out, stare, then look at me and, and smile at me, I think. Um, <laughs> last year, I had a couple of awesome Illinois trophy, trophy whitetail hunts where I had um, gigantic whitetails, and one was at 50 yards, and I just wasn't comfortable with the bow at that shot and watched it walk, and the wind turned, and I could never get back in that stand the rest of the week because the winds were wrong. Went back to Illinois later and had a, a broke my bow um, and my buddy ended up getting a 14-pointer. Thank goodness that I had hit in the leg with my bow, and uh, so my buddy has a 14-pointer on the wild, gigantic. I may never, ever see another buck like that while I'm in the woods, but here's what I can tell you is I did not shoot a deer last year, and I had one of the best hunting years of my entire life, and I'm not young. I've hunted for a long, long time, and that's so important that's where it comes down to those memories those pictures those family time that you spend together um, you asked if i have any trips this year my son and i are going to kansas on a a whitetail hunt with bows uh, the last week of october which is oh we're so <laughs> fortunate to get in then and it, it, it's already been a deal where sure i'd like to get one but I can tell you I'm going to be way more happy, and I'll probably ball like a baby if he shoots a big yeah. 150, yeah. 160 with his bow. Um, you know, I have a great picture right behind me there of my son's first black bear with a bow, and it was a gigantic, and all I did was film it. We went way up in Manitoba, and I just brought a camera. Nice. And earlier that same night, and you talk about the memories, 
I had to thump a bear over the head because it climbed up in the stand with us, so I had to knock him on the head. <laughs> we had a timber wolf chase a bear, a bear up a tree right in front of us, about a 100-pounder, and it was bawling like a baby. This poor wolf wanted it so bad. I have it all on film. And then Mr. Big, this chocolate behind us, a 400-pounder, came ambling by, and my son got his first bear ever. And it went from him wanting a uh, bear rug to he now has a full mount oh, man. gigantic oh. bear that doesn't fit in his house, so it's in mine. My <laughs> wife is not happy. <laughs> it's in his old bedroom until he gets a, a bigger house. Um, and that's what it's about. And like this week, we started baiting. He pulled a Minnesota bear tag this year, and he's going to start bow hunting in a week and a half. And we put up all the bear stands and sites and everything this, this last weekend. That's what it's about. We were checking the food plots, and so it's the Spending memories. Time together, yeah. It is. It's crazy. It's it's all that preparation, and with trail cams now, it's it's it that becomes a sport onto itself. Just putting out food plots and trail cams. <laughs> I could I couldn't agree with more with that. And actually, we're getting ready to bear hunt too down at our camp. Um, throwing out the barrels probably this weekend. But you know, the food plot thing. This is the first year that I did food plots, and. It is one of the most rewarding activities, not not even really necessarily about when I get to hunt over them, but just getting all the pictures around them and seeing fawns out there getting the nutrition that they need, you know, from their mothers because they're, instead of eating twigs now in northern Wisconsin, they're actually eating something that is full of protein and stuff like that. So it is really cool to see that. And I couldn't care less if I shoot a deer off of them this year, but it was just really cool to have that whole experience and, and really throw it all into the experience. But know? let's be real, you're really setting that up for Hank. Oh, yeah, future. yeah, absolutely. So yeah. his son is how old now? Two and a half. So I'm hoping to get him out, at least out walking with me next year right. at some point. He probably won't, even though in Wisconsin now you can hunt at any age. Yeah. But uh, you don't hunt in our family unless you can shoot. So. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, and that's really important because you're teaching the safety. You're te- not just having a two-year-old get behind a gun and let rip. Um, that you know, you also want to be an ethical hunter, and that is so important. And and that's a word that we will always fight and have to get out. That the you know hunters are such conservationists. You're talking about the food plot. You're only making, and everyone thinks, well, you're making the food plot just so you can go shoot deer. The next thing out of your mouth was, I don't even care if I shoot one. But watching the cameras and getting that nutrition, it's all part of it. And I wish non-hunters would understand that we're, we're big-time conservationists. We do food plots at our place, and I can tell you it's been 10 years of learning and reading and studying on how to do it properly. And it's, we've almost turned that into a sport on its, its yeah. own. I mean, I know things in our soil that just won't grow where we are. But I can tell you, turnips and, and rutabagas grow like crazy. <laughs> you turn into it like a farmer. Yeah, <laughs> you got to figure you're out it, what grows. We actually call it the farm now. I, yeah. I, <laughs> we don't even call it the land. We call it the farm. And last year, again, I spent so much time and energy up there working on these food plots. I never shot a deer last year. I was in Illinois twice. I was at our own camp. I never shot one. And again, like I said earlier, I had one of the best years I've ever had. So then what would you say? You said last year was a great hunting year for you. You didn't, you didn't get a, a deer last year. But what, whether it's last year or in a previous year, what would be your most memorable hunting story? So this is an interesting question because when I was younger, when I was you guys' age, a lot of it for me was about harvesting something. Even though we ate it, we would have ate fine at home without, sure. without it, but I always 
was proud that we would eat what we hunt. And, and for me, it was about being able to say, yes, I got one. I put all this hard work in, and I scored this year, and I got one. And over time, I've changed specifically as I've taught my kids how to handle guns and bows, and it becomes more of that educational. So what is my best trip? To be honest, I love all of it so much that it's, it's the preparation for the bear hunt right now I'm having a blast with. And, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get up and film him, but it'll be that. So it's almost like your next trip or whatever trip I'm on or whatever part of it I'm on. Allie, you're right now in the packing mode for this weekend to go to Idaho. Enjoy the packing mode on what can I bring and all of a sudden you lay this all this stuff out and you go well no and, and, and especially if you're not driving if you're flying all of a sudden you start calling and you're taking the minimum I find that as part of the process now not probably equally as much as the actual hunt part but I, I try to enjoy each part of it and then make what I'm doing right now the best experience that I've ever had and the best memories that I'm making for myself and my family. And then literally when, when my son shot that giant black bear a couple of years ago, I wanted to capture it all. So I started filming leaving our driveway on a 17-hour drive north <laughs> so I could capture all of that for us. We're not posting it anywhere. This is all about us and memories. And someday maybe when I'm gone, grandkids seeing this that, wow, that was pretty cool. They captured all the stuff pulling into the camp way up in Manitoba. The day we left the camp, that sign, okay, we're leaving, and it was a great week and all that. So I try to take it all in for what it's worth and the experience because it is so much more than just drawing the bow, bow back or putting the rifle up, pulling the trigger, and then, and then we all look at each other and go, oh, boy, now the work starts. Yep. Mm -hmm. That whole process leading up to just that, that pursuit of whether it was trying to get the tag i mean we had a place to go in kansas this year but that didn't mean we could go we had to we had to get in the lottery and get tags we were just very fortunate we both got tagged that's all part of it and and, and i hope that more people will, will think of that everything that goes into that experience so for me I, it may sound like a cop-out to say i don't have a favorite because gosh i've been to alaska and hunted in the Yukon, and I'll tell you, those are awesome. But I've also been to Stuttgart, Arkansas. I've been rained on by ducks in the world <laughs> yeah. capital of duck hunting. And I missed a deer in in Illinois, or actually put it through its, its leg. And to know then that a buddy ended up getting it two days later, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. um, the deer would have made it, but get it. It's all that memory tied into mm -hmm. it that, that that's my favorite is whatever that moment is. Everything leading up to... Including the driving home right. and then having to process. Because we, we yeah. process all of our own gear. Yes. I'm kind of a snob that way. Same I want, I we want do it, too, yeah. I want it done perfectly. That is part of the process. I should have brought some of our porchetta sausage here that we have made. You guys would have loved it. We'll get you some. I love that you said that because our family, uh, it was in our grandma's obituary this last week. Yeah. She was the one who taught us how to, how to properly butcher a deer with nothing but a fillet knife, basically. right? So we don't even use saws or anything like that. We fillet it all out. But I introduced a friend who's from uh, northern Wisconsin last year to the butchering process. He'd always shot for the 
20 years he's hunted. He's always shot the deer and brought it to the processor. And I thought, I said, how much do you pay for that? He goes, 100 bucks for just getting it cut up and sent back. I said, you know, why don't you this year take your deer that you should come over to my garage and I'll show you how to do it. After we got done, he said that was the most fun he has ever had deer hunting. Was going, he hunted on my property, he shot a deer, we dragged it out, we hung it up, and we butchered it. And he said that was the most memorable deer hunt he's ever had because he went from start to finish and went home with a box of meat that he butchered himself. So, yeah, I've processed long, sorry, I, I processed longer in my life than I've hunted. Yeah. Because as a kid, I remember having like dreams about it because we would process all day because at, at our camp, It'd they would, 10 deer or something. yeah, there'd be like 10 deer and they hung them because, you know, in Minnesota, it's colder, you know, it's cold enough to hang your deer for even the whole season. Yeah. And then we would process at the end. And we'd get all the men, the women, the kids, everyone involved. And it was like, okay, who's bringing the chili? And, like, so it's a social thing. And we would sit there all day and process and just kind of talk and laugh. And it was a, it was a, the way that I could be involved in hunting before I could hunt. You know, and, and that is part of the, again, the memories, the family, the community, the friends, and, and all of that is doing all that. And then you also teach others how to do it, but the... Here's the part is a lot of people go, ooh, ee, ooh, deer, bear, elk, moose, whatever it might be, ducks, whatever. And, and, and if you make it good table fare, I, I promised friends and family I would never tell them they're eating wild game at my house because I've had people go, is this wild game? No, it is not. I will always be honest with you. I'll never try to sneak it to you. But if you have it, you'll generally may go, well, this isn't beef. But it's going to be good. And part of that is because we take a concerted effort to make sure that we cool it down immediately. We get the hide off it immediately. We clean it off and get the blood off it immediately. We make sure there's no dirt on it. We pick every piece of hair off it. And then we meticulously trim it with flay knives. We don't use saws and get bone, you know, bone marrow and bone dust all over everything. And does it take time? Sure. It's part of the process. So does it to go walk out to your deer stand. And so if you're going to be a hunter, then ethically take care of it and consume it or give it to somebody who will consume it. Don't throw it in the garbage. And and I can tell you it is really good table fare if you do it right. And I was just very fortunate that I worked in a butcher shop to put myself through college. And so we used to do a couple hundred deer every year. So you learn how to do it very well. But you take the time. You trim it well like you guys learned how to do it. You don't put a lot of the tallow and fat into it. And if they need some moisture in it, you know, when you bring it in for sausage, if you have somebody make that for you, they're going to know how to put some some pork fat or some beef, beef fat back in it to get that moisture so yeah and that family process of it like you said and sorry to hear about your grandma but the memories you're both smiling the memories of her teaching you some of that and some of those recipes and all of what you're saying that's where it's at Mm -hmm. for sure well tom uh i can't thank you enough for for being on the show and talking about obviously a brand that you are so passionate about and and um, has a legacy, like hunting has kind of a legacy in, in family. So, I mean, talk a little bit about your flagship store and then obviously where people who are not from Duluth can find you and, and shop. 
Yes, thank you. Um, we have a flagship store in Duluth, but uh, and it is it is an experienced store. So if you are within shouting range of this, it is worth it to come to Duluth and actually walk through it. Um, it is a and, and I won't take credit for it. Um, we have great managers. We have great vision and retailing. It's a tough business, but it is a beautiful, beautiful experienced store to go in. So that's one of our, our, our modes, but the, we also have a, a beautiful website uh, team that works very hard on that. You can see all of our products there and we try to keep it fresh. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest and all the, the social mediums and you'll see things coming up because we do a lot of events and have a lot of fun things that come up and we, we also do giveaways. So if you yeah. follow us on those, you can win things. And then we have a dealer network where we have about 400 dealers right now in the States, some over overseas um, that we sell our products to and uh, and then we do corporate business so we do a lot of gifting type things so somebody says I have a sales meeting coming up and I want to give all of our salespeople a briefcase but they want their logo on it not the Duluth pack logo we private label so we can put anyone so that's our real four means of, of selling and uh, and and uh, the products are great, and and we have a lot of people coming to us for that private label part because it's made in America, and they want to give something that their employees will be proud of, and then carry their logo. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'll have to look into that for my Empower Outdoors hats that I've been making. Absolutely. I made this by hand, by Did the way. I'm, really? I'm wearing the that hat. Really cool. Duluth Pack so, inspires. Yes. Well, yes. Basically, I'm like, huh? Duluth Pack. Well, I want to try this. Um, anyway, so again, thank you so much for joining the show. Safe hunting, have fun, make memories. I will. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Empower Outdoors Podcast.